Chapter 2 Marjorie Jean Gasmier, nay Manson, dressmaker, 33 years, 5 foot 6 inches, very thin, fair complexion, red, short, wavy hair, blue-grey eyes, aquiline nose, missing for about six years and was last heard of at Mascot Flats, Breakfast Creek Road, Newstead, Brisbane. Inquiry is on behalf of her husband, Edward Clarence Gasmier. Missing Friends, The South Australian Police Gazette, 15th of April, 1942. While Marjorie Manson was hiding from the Japanese in the New Guinea jungle, her husband in Adelaide reported her missing. He described her to the police as a dressmaker, very thin, missing for about six years, last seen in Brisbane. There was no mention of their 11-year-old son, Richard. Seventy-five years later, Marjorie and Dickie have been so thoroughly forgotten that some of their closest relatives don't know they existed. It's partly because of the secrets they held close, partly because of war and grief, and partly because of the volcano under which they were buried. Under other circumstances, their extraordinary story of secrets, betrayal, love and espionage, set against the backdrop of war on a tropical island paradise, would be the stuff of legend. My obsession with finding the beginning and middle of their story began some time ago, but what I found is more than I expected. This isn't just the story of a dressmaker and schoolboy caught up in a war and executed as spies. It's the story of a global conflict and plate tectonics that, in many unexpected ways, conspired to rearrange the world and shape human history. My search for Marjorie, Dickie, Ted, Jimmy and Bill, who died three quarters of a century ago, ends in a wet and grey Sydney. I've just left the home of Marjorie's brother, Graham Manson, now in his nineties, the last survivor of a family destroyed by war, the only person alive who remembers them as they were and in whose memory they are still alive. Driving me through the wet streets to the train station is Graham's daughter, Lisa, Dickie's cousin. How do you know for sure that's what really happened? Lisa asks me. Over the decades, her father hardly ever spoke about what happened. It was so traumatic. I don't, I say. Not for sure. I'm looking for the best evidence. Okay, says Lisa. How did you find them? And why do you care? I struggle to remember how I first found them. I can't properly answer Lisa's questions. And in my effort to recreate lives erased from history, I've forgotten why I started caring in the first place. It might have been partly because I saw reflections of my own parents in the Manson family. My father was close to Graham's age and my mother to Dickie's. They were from the same generation and they, too, grew up during the hard years of the Great Depression and the Second World War, and for them it was both the best and worst of times. I originally set out to write a novel about 1942, that tumultuous year when everything seemed to be in peril and everybody lived in the moment. My parents had talked about the war years and described the hardship and uncertainty, but also a time when it seemed they were truly 
fully alive. I envied them that year. In the military histories of the time, I read about the Japanese fortress of Rabaul, and in those appeared a group of civilians executed as spies. Ted and Marjorie Harvey, their son Richard, and men called James Manson and William Parker were mentioned as footnotes, not really part of the bigger military story of Rabaul, more curiosities because of the nature of their deaths and the fact they were civilians. A mother and son executed for espionage. But they were names without faces, facts without context, people without voices. Who were they? What string of surely remarkable events had led them to this end, under a volcano of all things? Here were lives with a shocking end, but no beginning and no middle.